in the 2016 poetry competition, there were 1,200 entries. And it has three categories, this competition. Adults, young people of the ages 12 to 17, and children of um, the um, who are 11 years old or under, 11 years young, you should say. The field was extremely, um, extremely various and very international um, that year. And because poems arrived from as far away as the US and Singapore, most of the winners cannot be here today. Um, but they sent videos to us, so you still get to listen to them and watch them read their winning poems. Someone who knows what it's like to win the competition is also here today, um, Jacqueline Safra. She won the competition in 2007, and um, she'll read for us from her collection, most recent collection, All My Mad Mothers, which was published by Nine Archers Press earlier this year. And another collection, A Bargain with the Light, Poems After Lee Miller, is due from Hercules Editions in September. So join me in giving a warm welcome to Jacqueline. Hello. Uh, it's lovely to be here. Um, I'm reading a total of three times at this festival, which is just hugely exciting for me. And somebody uh, asked me recently, she said, would you mind signing my book? You must be sick of it by now. And I said, are you out of your mind? It's, you know, it's, it's a massive thrill. Um, I remember the day that I got the news I'd won the first prize in the competition in 2007, and I very distinctly remember sliding down the wall and sitting on the floor in a place I'd never sat in my kitchen before. Uh, and, and Chloe's voice coming from very far away and me being incoherent. It was really a very big moment for me, as I'm sure it has been for the people who've won. Um, I have been back most years since then because I just love the festival. Um, I love the bunting, I love the sofas, I love the welcome and the fantastic food up in hospitality is, uh, you know, the people are just wonderful here. Um, I can't say that winning this competition kick-started my career or made me, a, you know, a stellar poet or anything. But what it did was it made me believe I could actually do this thing. Um, and that is a really big deal because we're all, most of us, I think, you know, full of self-doubt. And, and for someone to say you've actually won is a massive thumbs up. And, and it just made me want to get better. I can't say writing poetry has got any easier. I think it's got harder. Um, but that's part of the joy of it. The joy is in the struggle, really. Um, I'm, I still enjoy coming back. And I feel a bit like, and, and you'll find this as winners, a bit like a sort of adopted child of the festival. You know, it's like the festival feels a bit like my poetry parent. Um, and also, I love the sort of social aspect of this festival because uh, you walk down the street, you can't go a metre without meeting someone you know. So there are lots of old friends and I always find I make new ones here, as I'm sure you will too. Um, so it's a great honour and a privilege to be uh, reading today. And thank you so much to Chloe and to the festival for inviting me. So I'm going to read a few poems from um, All My Mad Mothers. Um, motherhood and daughterhood are subjects that seem to be recurring a lot in my poems. And I thought I might as well just go for it with this collection. Um, but having said that, they're not all about uh, mothers and daughters. And uh, I thought I would start off... I, I've been very much aware at this festival of how interconnected we all are and of the sort of political dimensions of the work that's been presented. And I've got a few like that myself. 
so I've sort of taken the opportunity to slightly re-curate my own collection and um, give you that uh, more, more uh, global flavour. Uh, so this is called Valentine for Turbulent Times. When you open your eyes to find great love beside you and you tease open the heart with kisses and coffee and you yawn and yearn and reach towards this snowdrop morning, a few lines of bliss might achieve liftoff, but for the cacophonous news that rolls across your horizon grinning from its armoured tank as it exits the hatch to trip you up with its big, dirty boots even before you have a chance to rise. And love, there it is, running from fire and terror, small and useless, like the unseasonal ladybird crawling across this page, confused about what to do with its wings. I spent uh, some time on a kibbutz during my gap, my gap year, which was 1978, and this poem, there are a few sort of anecdotal poems, story poems in this collection, and this is one of those, and it's called Volunteers 1978. The new girls did the bloody work, chopping the heads off but saving the necks, yanking out hearts and stomachs to be boiled for soup. Fat was managed elsewhere, carcasses removed and dealt with by superiors. I went right off chicken. Good performers were promoted to onions. I cried all week and chucked my boyfriend, who was on bananas at the time, up a tree from 5 a.m. till 10 and loving it. They paid us in airmail letters, cigarettes and bowls of oranges and gave us our own bomb shelter for a disco. I learned how to smoke, roll a joint and say, I want to have sex with you in nine different languages. Sometimes we'd hear them talk, border, border skirmishes, patrols around the perimeter, the occasional funeral. Someone once told us, keep out of the woods, you might be mistaken for fedayin and shot, which sounded really, really funny when you were foreign and nothing to do with it, and stoned. On Shabbat, there were guests for dinner. Brown, perfect boys, fresh out of school, all big boots and khaki, who'd lope in smelling of sweat and leather and lay down their Uzis like handbags beside steaming bowls of chicken soup. I was asked to write a poem for Poem magazine, which uh, did an issue on women's uh, views on Brexit, and uh, this caused me a great deal of difficulty because I, I couldn't sort of find a way in. Uh, but eventually I did, and it only goes to show that whatever commission you're given, you end up writing the poem you might have written anyway. So uh, this is for all the parents in the house and their children too. Leavings. The devils and the lunatics are loose. Bear your children. Keep them close for now. Weave a cocoon of hair and skin, a silver song to grow them in. Raise them naked as the angels, sweet and safe, but mix their milk with grit. Fold them in love and give them ear and tongue that they might parley with anyone. Teach them courage, how to rise and focus. Muscle them like little boxers, 
Wait for it. Those fists and minds will soon turn quicker than your own. We'll read this world. We'll try to cuff or kiss it. We'll ask you, you, how to fix it. Shrug, then spin this orb, this creaking prize. Spread out the maps, the changing lines. Throw up your wrinkled hands. Unveil the wreck you've left them. The fires, the slow black, the cleft and spill. Confess. This bruised world, blue and plundered, now it belongs to you. Oh, it's hard to listen to poetry, isn't it, for a long time when you're only three. So, um, I, thought, I thought I would uh, read a couple of poems from my uh, collection. Poems are like buses, aren't they? Books are like buses. You, nothing comes along for years and then there are two in the same year. Um, and I haven't read these ones before, but they are, um, it's, it's what they call a heroic crown of sonnets, which is 15 sonnets. And this is um, about the life and work of Lee Miller, who was a 20th century icon, really. She was a Vogue model. She was also a correspondent for Vogue and a photographer, an incredibly talent, talented photographer, very damaged woman with a very um, unhappy childhood. And she took the most incredible photographs uh, and the, the sequence is about her whole life, but the two that I'm reading today are both set in April 1945, when she was one of the only women photographers on the front lines and um, it, it witnessed some terrible things. Uh, so the first one is based on a photograph. It's a, a very close-up photograph of a German nurse who committed suicide along with her military family, as many Germans did at the end of the war. Uh, to avoid capture, and uh, Miller had this way of going in close where other photographers didn't. It's like she was kind of fearless in some way. It, uh, it's in Lee Miller's voice. A world apart, how did you come to this, little German nurse? Once you mattered. Now there's poison on the table, family kissed by oblivion. Your neck, Fraulein, so soft and white it could be mine. I'll shoot your mouth half open. Ah, those pretty teeth your dynasty extinguished. Swooning beauty, waxen, dusty Nazi, who's left to grieve but me? Not quite tragic nor grotesque, you draw me close. I'm used to this. I grope towards an understanding, try to find some hope. You're free your father's poisoned at his desk, your mother's dead. I want to wake you, but you're gone. I shut my mouth. I must not spit. And the second of the two I want to read is uh, based on a photograph that she took of the prostitutes in Dachau concentration camp at the end of the war, sitting in a room waiting to be transported. Um, the, she took many, many more horrific photographs, and so this is partly addressing that, that difference. As if the storm inside can be erased by acts of witness, I become the still eye, empty, curious. I load the human freight onto my film and let the image fly. I must not think. I don't discriminate. I merely scan and capture what I see behind the fence, beyond the gates. This is my work, nothing to do with me. Ah, here are the whores, what a relief. 
I raise my eyes, I share the mirror of my gaze. I know their little squall, not like that held too loud for human ears, that other pit too deep to dream about. But I must tell. I take it all. I focus, click, commit. And I, I was sort of very struck by, I don't know if anyone was in the, um, in the reading with Bejan um, Matur and Jen Hadfield, uh, where she talked very much about the fact that she felt it was her responsibility to tell. And I think Lee Miller felt that way. And I think all good poems look at things, not all good poems, but many good poems look at things that perhaps we don't really want to look at. Um, and I'm just going to finish because I can't leave you um, in Dachau. That would not be nice. So I'm just going to read the last poem from this collection, which is, I think has um, some optimism in it. And it's called Charm for Late Love. Here we go again, my old crow. I'll ride your bone back, edge and turn, up where the wind songs coil and glow, feathers fall and currents churn, candle, gutter, flare and burn. Let the stars drip sodden light, we'll find the shine once more, we'll name our quarry, rattle it through night. Let's taste the blood of the ancient game, candle, snuff, gutter and flame. Let's wing it, old crow, deny the laws of chance, how hard it is to catch and hold a joy in yellowed claws, to risk the slip, outface the crash, candle, gutter, snuff and ash. Let your straightened wings unfold, eclipse the moon with a surge and sweep through grip and glint of marrow cold. Let's hunt the heart we'll never keep, candle, gutter, snuff and sleep. Thank you. Thank you, Jacqueline. As I said earlier, the judge of the Letbury Poetry Competition was Imtia Starker, and she read each and every one of these 1,200 poems I mentioned. So, because it's impossible to briefly introduce Imtia Starker, I'll just mention that she was, for example, awarded the Queen's Gold Medal for Poetry in 2014, and amongst her praised collections are, for example, The Terrorists at My Table, Leaving Fingerprints, and Over the Moon. She recently completed a series of poems based on the archives of St. Paul's Cathedral and is currently working on projects with a dance company, composer, and singers in Leeds and Hull. Let's give another warm welcome to Imtia Starker. Let's take away the separation between us. Uh, thank you, Katharina, and thank you, Jacqueline, for that wonderful reading. It sets a standard for the rest of the evening. And I think, for me, this is one of the most exciting events in the whole festival, because we've come to recognize and celebrate the best of new writing from people of all ages, the youngest winner here today is seven years old, Jonah there. And uh, then we have a young people's category and an adult category. 
And they've come, which, what's great for me to see is that while I judged them completely blind, anonymously, their people have come, the winners from every part of the world. They've come from uh, St. Leonard's on Sea to New South Wales and Singapore, uh, Brooklyn. And uh, when the names were finally revealed to me, I was thrilled to see the kind of geographical spread that they came from. It's an odd thing judging a competition alone, facing over well, 1,200 entries and reading every single one because there isn't another judge to fall back on. There isn't another opinion that you can check with. But I felt as if I was listening very carefully, even more carefully than usual, to one voice after another, and they were very strong voices. And each voice that I listened to led me into a completely different and particular world of their own. There were some that sang out right away, sang off the page, and there were others that just sat there quietly breathing. And then I'd realize a hundred poems later that I wanted to go back to that one, and I'd go back and read it again. And when I really like poems, I, try to, I need to read them aloud as well. So by the end of that 1,200, I was really quite hoarse. Uh, I enjoyed the rhythm, the musicality, the images in many of the poems. Uh, and that's not just in the poems you'll hear today, but in many of those that didn't actually come into this room, the, many of the ones who are not in this list. There were also a lot of other great poems. I didn't always understand the poems right away, but I think that's what happens. It didn't really worry me because I often half understand things in the world around me, the things I hear and see. And the mystery of a poem just echoes larger mysteries, different ways of interpreting the world. While I was reading the entries, I was also thinking about how poems smuggle themselves into people's minds and how poems in all times have often had to be secretive, scribbled in locked cells, hidden away and shared in dangerous text messages or read anonymously on radio programs, say, in Afghanistan. But fortunately, here today, we're able to celebrate poetry and say the poets' names aloud. We do that with the awareness of all the other poets struggling to write and struggling not just to be heard, but struggling to stay alive in that situation. Poetry for them is a kind of resistance. And so we know that we're in a position of privilege that we can actually write these poems and celebrate them aloud here. Many of the winning poems deal with difficult subjects, but they come at it in a way that looks very simple, with language that feels as if it's been newly washed. And for me, it was a joy to discover those poems. So thank you for giving me this opportunity to judge the competition and to hear the voices. And luckily, we can all hear them now. I'll go straight in to the children's category right away. It was exciting to read the entries and to see how these young people 
open doors, their own particular doors into poetry and the world they see through poetry. They've made brave and very individual choices with unexpected subject matter, strong images, and a confident use of language, rhythm, and form. And what I'd like to do is call up the third prize winner in the children's category first. That's Lawrence Gard with Topping. Topling, sorry. Toppling. I remember the Jenga bricks, worn smooth by other little hands, reinvented as dominoes, toppling. Soldiers with bearskin hats, falling one by one. As Josh, Will, Rosie and I dreamt of a world record, whilst the dominoes climbed and descended the stairs and went their separate ways at the partings. We looked on in awe at the splits, steps and straights, they fell so synchronised, like ballet dancers gliding. You see, you see, what was happening in that poem was that he was using the image of the dominoes so cleverly to suggest other relationships and the kind of strange shifting of relationships. Uh, the second prize... Jonah Price, who's seven years old, he's from Torquay, and his poem is On the Fence. On the fence, on the fence, moss grows on the wood. Shadows fall, making another fence, like stepping stones. The sun, shine, sh the sun shines straight through, the fence surrounding everything, everything. For a long time it's been waiting to be old, old, older, breaking apart, growing grey. That's the very youngest poet here dealing with ageing in such an incredible way. And also the fence the shadow making another fence, such a great image. The first prize, and this is Rafaela Chapman can't be here, but uh, she has a film, um, and it's called The Moon. Is a mirror against a pitch black wall. The moon is a pearl button sewn on ink black blouse. The moon is the curve of a milky white claw on a black cat ball. The moon is a crumpet with butterfield craters. The moon is a plate shining and new. The moon is a cromwellian table, freshly waxed. So that's such a great example of a poem that looks very simple but says a great deal in very simple language. And that's why she won the first prize. Now, 
uh, to go on to the young people's category. The third prize was won by Sarah Ang from Singapore with her poem, Snow White's Lament. All right. Oh, that's a shame. Okay, it was a very lovely poem. And what she did was she twisted the idea of the fairy tale. And instead of calling, the stepmo- calling her stepmother, she calls her mother right from the start. And at the end, she wishes for her mother to hold her. So it's a kind of lovely uh, twisting of the story, and quite a heartbreaking ending. That was the third prize to Sarah Ang. Second prize to Jessica Wang from New South Wales for the poem called Diaspora. And because Jessica is not here today, Jacqueline is going to read the poem for her. There is a a Chinese word in this poem, um, which means I am sorry. And they've given me an approximate pronunciation. So if there's anyone who speaks Chinese here, my apologies if if I get it wrong. Um, There's also a Chinese phrase at the end, which I'm going to endeavor to pronounce, but I cannot promise anything. Yeah. Okay. So, Diaspora by Jessica Wang. I'm Chinese. Can you speak Chinese? I can. I mean, if I tried to, I could. Probably. I could open my mouth, try to summon sounds and characters thousands of years old, listen and wince as they awkwardly fumble around, clattering against my palate, attempting to dance their way into existence with my broken legs of a tongue. I could try, and I do. I go home for a few weeks at a time, inhale. Where is home? Is it the place with my favourite Italian restaurant, three blocks from my best friend's house, a ten-minute walk to school? Is it the place where hundreds of thousands of years of my ancestors lived and died and are buried? Is it both? Is it neither? Exhale. Smile and greet my relatives, all 1.357 billion of them. We have a conversation. How are you? How is Australia? How are you doing in school? I'm good. Australia is good. I'm doing all right. The conversation continues. I speak in slow children's sentences. My answers are short and simple and basic, and there is so much more that I want to say, but I can't. Their smile falters. Something isn't right. I shrug helplessly. Bubble tea. I turn to leave, and their disappointment slices into my back the way my mother chops herbs, ginger, harsh and purposeful. A woman asks me to fill out a survey as I walk down the street, pushing a neatly typed A4 sheet of paper, swimming with Chinese characters into my hand. I recognize nothing, smile awkwardly, apologize for everything. My parents laugh loudly and talk loudly at the dinner table that night. I can see that they want to stay, that they are happier here. It occurs to me that I am making them unhappy. I go home again. My friend purses her lips as she tells me she was followed and called Ching Chong on the train ride home. My mother talks to her friend in rapid-fire Mandarin inside the store that she runs. 
A woman enters, throws up her hands. They don't even fucking speak English and zips away. A girl in my class tells me I'm her favorite Asian. Her friend adds that I'm funny for an Asian girl. I cling onto China, onto a culture I don't feel completely a part of, that I will never be completely a part of, where I can't even speak the language because I have no other choice. Too foreign for home, too foreign for here, never enough for both. Ijeoma ume binyuo. Thank you, Jacqueline, for reading that and also for getting the Chinese. Um, there are some, uh, you know, words, some lines that you wish you'd written, and for me it was my broken legs of a tongue. It just feels so clear when you hear it. Uh, the first prize in the young people's category is Zoe Moore. Uh, she, she was from Indiana, USA, and the poem is For the Birds. Karuna tells her not to eat those cherries because they are for the birds. And she reaches up to touch her hair and feels more feathers than fur. The cherries in the tree are sweet bone small, but she gets stuck on them because they are not for her. It's anything for her, except the music she hears, it torn out of other people's headphones. Her mother tells her not to eat the cherries because X is for Y and she is for beautiful things that nobody is willing to show her. How do the cogs turn in a world where everything is for nobody and nothing is all anybody carries even with a full stomach? She can feel the gears moving like earthquakes, but cannot find the source of their motion under her feet. Everyone else has learned to walk in stride for action as she is paced, but she is standing still, and she still feels more feathers than fur on top of her head. Is anything for her except the sky that forgets to ask how the day was when she comes home to it? Her mother tells her not to eat the cherries because they are for the birds, and they are for the birds, and they are for the birds, and the birds march along with the world walking backwards, and she wonders if she will get any closer to where she is going, if she only watches everyone else crawl away from that place. Is anything for her except binoculars? Because the world she is plotted in says, do not touch, because everything is worn out by now, but everyone claims they would have tried better to take care of the air of the past to the they could still live in it. Everybody loves their artifacts, and everybody marches back to them, but she stands still and looks at cherries, and her mother says no. Is anything for her to put her hands on? Or will she have to stare at the cherries until they turn brown, and there are still no birds to be seen? I hope you could hear every word of that poem because it does so much with very simple words and the repetition of words. But it's as if language, the language itself is struggling with a child's vocabulary to make sense of the whole world, its inequalities and its otherness. Right, we move on to the adult category now. And the third prize is 
for Paul Nash, who lives in Dublin, with his poem, August Blossom. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Greetings from Dublin. First, I would like to thank Inkhouse Darko for kindly selecting my poem, and the Reverend Festival for the prize and for inviting me to read. August Blossom. Two surprises. First, the apple tree bore one new blossom among galactic fruit, as if the tree remembered spring and wore something grafted from a youthful sheep. Then, you in that brief top, all joyous flowers, until rejected for the usual white, embroidered with the ghosts of warmer hours, their lost colours folded back into night. Encouraging to see the ancient boughs so heavy laden that were bare last year, but even more, the late bloom, and that blouse clinging to you, now distant, once so near that I could touch the petals, and just then, before you changed back, thought I would again. That's a poem where the sonnet form seemed perfectly right for the subject matter, the subject of the late bloom and the late blooming of hope. The second prize goes to Richard Evans. Uh, he's from Tunbridge, and it's for his poem, Ickery. And the poem we derive grows out of that lurking uh, moment sometimes have to pen when you shout for something brave and dangerous. Um, I was reading The Little Mermaid to my kids at the time, and I suppose I saw that story more from the father's point of view. I'm no great Shakespeare uh, Greek, but I gather that Ikarat means little Ikarus. Ikarat. When you're still pretty small, I hold you off to the coast one day. Because it's summer, and because your mother needed time to gather herself. I suppose you still don't remember. That strange car smell as you sat small on the back seats, ice creams awkwardly freezing. The climb and the drop to the beach. You've never mentioned it since. For a long time, you sat quiet in the sand. Struck by the cliffs shrugging up from the beach, where teenagers, young men, wearing nothing but jeans and not out drunk, leapt from secrets for an impossible, wordless second. Torsos tight, San Sebastian shot, until they pierced the water like stone. Was it you or I who wanted to go closer? Did I drag you or you drag me up and across? The dry brown earth of the car park, where the leapers were already calling me to bed. Did you wait for me to turn or just run? Steps, time, swift, intense. Black stones dislodged as you left. Do you remember the silence all the way home? The hot tires shushing like a tap left running. Finally, as the car drew up on your drive, a voice insistent, child 
When I was on that, I could see two kinds of lights by looking through a green or white window. I wanted to stay there, but I came back and you were waiting, weren't you? Maybe you recall this only in dreams, bound down in the darkness as a diver finds shells. But never forget that you chose to come back and carry that like a charm, like a blessing. There's a sense there of, of stories unfolding endlessly uh, through that poem, and as if they, they never would stop unfolding. And the first prize in the adult section. Miller Oberman from Brooklyn with his poem on fishing. That's a poem with powerful and startling images. And then in the last verse, he forbid it. I said, why? The repetition for me is reminiscent of young Zoe Moore's poem, uh, For the Birds, as if the poets uh, have found a kind of common way of speaking across, across geography. They, they don't know each other, but they found a kind of common language. Um, I love it when that happens, when you feel that poets are having a conversation, even if they're separated by time and distance, and even if they've never heard of each other, which they will have now. Uh, and then he, of course, leads up to that very wise and wonderful ending. 
I think you'll agree that today, based on what you've heard, it's been a very good year for poetry. Thank you, and congratulations to all the winners. like to thank you all for coming, but I would also like to uh, have everyone on stage again. So Jonah, Lawrence, and Jacqueline, could you come on stage again? Because I do have a little thank you present from the Letbury Poetry Festival for you. It's one of these wonderful bowls. So, MTS, thank, thank you. you. Come on on stage. Yours is still wrapped. You get one as well. Congratulations. Come up here. So maybe we can also take a picture for the um, poets who are not here today because they will get an email from the Poetry Festival to tell them how well they went went. And if you like this event, if you like the internationality of poetry at Letbury, then maybe come back to this hall at... 6 p.m. for the Romanian Poets event, um, hosted by Fiona Sampson. Um, and apart from that, have a lovely afternoon, and goodbye to you, basically. Thank you again. Thank you.